This episode is brought to you in part by Audible, your go-to destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Whether you're looking for a hair-raising experience to enjoy while you're on the move or eager to dive into sinister and shocking tales, Audible has an exclusive collection of thrillers from best-selling authors that will keep you on the edge of your seat. Like The Guest List by Lucy Foley. Experience stories like never before, where every chilling detail is brought to life by captivating sound design. Plus, as an Audible member, choose one title a month to make yours forever. And now, new members can try Audible free for 30 days. Just visit audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. That's audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. I am just simply concerned about kicking uh, half of America off of their health insurance in four years. I would call it Medicare for all who want it. You take something like Medicare, a flavor of that, you make it available on the exchanges, people can buy in, and then if people like us are right, that that will be not only a more inclusive plan, but a more efficient plan than any of the corporate answers out there. I believe we need to get to universal health care as a right, not a privilege, to single payer. The quickest way you get there is you create competition with the insurers. Health care, in my view, is a human right. And we have got to pass a Medicare for all single yes, payer. I'm with Bernie on Medicare for all, and let me tell you why. I've spent a big chunk of my life studying why families go broke. And one of the number one reasons is the cost of health cannot let people who are sick, no matter where they come from, no matter what their status, go uncovered. You can't do that. It's just going to be taken care of, period. You have to. It's a humane thing to do. Welcome, everybody, to Where Did You Get This Number? We are in the post-debate edition, and we're going to break down which candidates are competing against which other candidates and, more importantly, what the health care debate means going forward. I am Anthony Salvanto from CBS News. Leonard Steinhorn, CBS News political analyst, American University professor. Let's dive in, Anthony. Well, you know, coming out of this debate, Lenny, one of the things that struck me was I knew that Democrats had gotten the majority of their votes in the midterms from people who said that health care was the most important issue. And I knew from our polling that 77 percent of Democrats said that they had to hear a candidate's plan for lowering health care costs before they would even consider voting for them. So not surprisingly, those debates at the end of the week were heavily focused, among other things, on health care and health care policy. But I wonder, Lenny, coming out of that, if the Democrats' particular policy solutions are going to be winners or not so much going to mesh with the broader electorate down the line. Well, I think there are two sides to this Democratic coin. One is that everyone wants more affordable care, universal coverage. So when the Democrats talk about this, when they talk about parents with their noses pressed to the glass saying, how is my kid going to get cured? I don't have the money to be able to pay that deductible. That does resonate with a lot of people. The question is, in terms of policy, how do you get there? And I think this is where the Medicare for all issue has pluses because it's appealing. Medicare is a very popular policy, but it's got negatives. And that negative is the notion that it could get rid of private insurance. I think that when we ask people what they think of the U.S. healthcare system generally, we find that very few think it only needs minor changes. Last time we asked, I think it was about 20% thought it only needed minor changes. And you had this large plurality, over 40%, who said it needed fundamental changes. 
and then just over another third who said it, it needed a complete rebuild. But you get to the Democratic side in particular, and one of the things that strikes me is that within the party, within the Democratic Party, whether you're, uh, you have means or whether you are lower income and across races as well, we find that people think that this idea of Medicare for all is a pretty good idea. What then becomes a bit of a puzzle is what exactly does Medicare for all mean and what might it cost? You know, there's about a third of Democrats who tell us in the polling, well, it depends. It depends on the details. Uh, to your point, Lenny, it depends on what it is they might have to pay in taxes or what it is they might exactly be getting back that I think is the, is the key thing to watch here. Yeah, and there's this concept called loss aversion. People fear losing things more than they like gaining or getting things. There was a study done. They found that teachers who were offered a bonus at the end of the school year, if they improved student performance, there wasn't much improvement. But when teachers were given a bonus at the beginning of the year and it would be taken away from them if the students didn't do a lot better, that had a big effect. People don't like to lose things. So when the Obamacare debate first came on and the Republicans were able to frame it as government is going to take away your choice, not allow you to choose your doctors, people didn't support it then because they felt they might be losing something. All of a sudden, everything flipped when the Republicans were saying, we're going to take away Obamacare and some of the privileges associated with it. All of a sudden, Obamacare becomes more popular because people are fearful of losing it. So the question is, with Medicare for all, will the Republicans be able to frame that as a policy that ultimately could hurt people because the government, the Democrats, would be taking away their private insurance? If I'm a Republican strategist, that's exactly the path that I would pursue. And I, I think... When you look at the split between access versus cost, it's key to understanding a lot of what's happening here. Because as you say, access means whether you have health care or you don't. And often the Democratic debate is talking about people and getting coverage, right? But for that group of folks, and it's a majority, who already have some kind of health care, they have it through their employer or they already have it. In, in some form, through a union or, or what have you, they tell us that they're looking at costs, whether it's the cost of a deductible or the cost of out-of-pocket payments or just the cost of paying for the plan in particular. That becomes a key element, whether people are addressing that particular part of health care that's really of concern to, to, to the voters. Yeah, and the president has even been talking about that, talking about transparency in terms of health care costs, Healthcare organizations, hospitals, doctors having to post their charges. He's been talking about that with prescription drugs. I think he understands that the cost issue is a big one, and a lot of people are very nervous about that. Of course, the Democrats will counter and say, look, we pay twice as much per person than other countries in terms of health care per capita. We have to lower those costs. The people in Canada or Germany aren't any less healthy than we are, yet they, they pay 50 percent or so less per capita on their health care costs. So the Democrats will say, we've got to find a way to contain these costs, because if we can contain these costs, we could give more people greater access to adequate and satisfactory health care. Yeah, but it's cost for who? And then that becomes the issue where we watch the debates and they talk about who ought to be getting health care or health care coverage. And that seems then to run back toward the immigration debate, 
where Democrats were talking about what they might or might not do at the border, but also in terms of whether or not people who are immigrants would be able to get medical coverage or medical care, et cetera. And you can certainly see the Republicans going forward, as you said, sort of trying to make hay out of that. Yeah, I think arrow one given to the Republicans is the notion that the Democrats might take away your private health insurance. Arrow two given to the Republicans is the notion that, you know, undocumented immigrants could get health care coverage paid by the taxpayers. That whole sort of trope about people being freeloaders. And it's an interesting one. The Democrats have to figure out how the Republicans are going to go after them on these issues. I don't think they've figured out how to answer those attacks quite yet. Well, the more immediate you can see this as you watch the debates, the more immediate concern, of course, for all those candidates up there is ending up being the nominee. You know, it seemed to me, too, that because some of these candidates are more directly competing with others, what I mean is we know from the polling that people who are considering Elizabeth Warren Many of them are also considering Bernie Sanders. Many of them are also considering Kamala Harris, right? We know that Bernie Sanders' folks are a little bit less likely to say they're considering anybody else, but the ones that are, many are also considering a Warren. And then you've got Joe Biden over here, and his supporters are a little bit less likely to be considering a Sanders or a Warren. So you start to see that fight taking place maybe more among the progressive wing or the more liberal wing of the party. And those particular candidates really have to hit the right the right message in order to just win that segment of the party. And you mentioned sort of the notion of who could be somebody's second or third choice. And I think this is the opportunity that Senator Harris, Kamala Harris has right now. She's less defined than Joe Biden, less defined than Bernie Sanders, less defined than Elizabeth Warren. So she has a way to define herself in contrast to and similar with them in terms of how she feels it plays with the base, but how she can distinguish herself. So far, she's been sort of second, third choice by a lot of people, but she hasn't risen to that top choice level. I think the debate is going to help her get a second look from a lot of voters to be able to think, hey, maybe I need to consider her. So for her, these are critical days in terms of how she defines herself to the uh, to the Democratic voter. And that's one of the things I'm going to be keeping an eye on. I think that coming out of this, we should remind everybody that, you know, debates, they're going to happen, say, every month or so. One of the things you're going to hear in the next week or two, maybe is the around the time folks download this podcast, is a poll that has a certain person up a point, down a few points. Maybe people are considering this candidate, not considering that. And be careful of people using loaded or big terms for those movements in polls like surge and drop. You know, for one thing, these are going to be, in many cases, a lot of those polls are going to be small samples. And in a lot of cases, we know from history, Lenny, and you know this well, that these things kind of bounce around as people kick the tires on candidates. And one debate matters now and another debate might matter later. It's not all necessarily directional. It's not all significant. Yeah, remember the Herman Cain bounce in 2012 and Carly Fiorina and Ben Carson in 2016? What I think 
people need to be able to do to look at this sort of clinically and understand that the longer uh, sort of path toward the nomination is to separate the media narrative du jour, that intense, breathtaking conversation we're going to hear on talk shows with pundits on cable news, to separate that from the long-term flow of these politics. Who has enough support that's sustainable, that's loyal, that will carry them with the ups and downs, regardless of whether they do well in a debate or poorly in a debate? Who has a good ground game? Who has a lot of organizers on the ground in states like uh, Iowa and New Hampshire that can generate voters, get people out to vote? And who has money and the resources to make that happen? That's the primary that I'm looking at right now, regardless of what happens in these debates, though these debates are fascinating. And I think they can open opportunities for some candidates to get a second notice and for people to start looking at them more. But I think that's why unpacking the policy issues is so important at this time. And back to healthcare for a second, you've got this you've got this progressive and moderate part of or each part of the party and you've got these these overarching views that they think something needs to be done about healthcare. You've got them juggling at the same time this idea that they need a policy, they being the Democrats, whoever emerges as the nominee, need a policy that gets them through the primaries where you have a large number of liberal voters who want to hear about Medicare for for all, et cetera, but then also is going to be a winning issue for them going forward into the fall. And that balance is one that any set of primary you know, combatants needs to needs to strike. You, you see some of the more moderate Democrats saying, no, we shouldn't do Medicare for all. It's not feasible right now. It would create chaos with the taxes that would be required and the accounting and how to make this work. Their point is, Let's have a public option. Let's have within the Obamacare marketplace an option like Medicare for all the people to say, hey, that's what I want to buy. That's what I want to join. And then to test it out and to see how it works in a country as large as ours. And I think that's sort of that middle ground. Now, keep this in mind. The public option for the longest period of time was considered sort of very progressive and more radical. Now it's considered more moderate in the Democratic Party. And I think that within the Democratic. Yes, within the Democratic. Party that tells you how much, let's say, Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren have moved the party to the left. But the safest path, I think, for a Democrat getting that nomination is to say, I want to cover everyone. One way to do it is a Medicare for anybody who needs it or wants it. It's the public option. And I think that's the way that they avoid some of the trap doors that they can fall into if they start talking about eliminating private insurance. See, what's interesting for me is where health care then merges with this idea of electability. Voters kept saying they wanted to find somebody who they thought could defeat President Trump. You know, whether a candidate's health care position looks to voters like maybe something they want or don't want, but looks to voters like something that would appeal to the wider electorate whether it's something that would at least be tolerable to maybe some of those moderate Republicans that they'd like to swing back over, even if that's 5%, 10% that they might be aiming for, or whether a candidate's health care position is something that Democrats feel the Republicans will paint as so either radical or so, so you know, something they don't want 
that it's going to be a detriment to them going forward into the general. So it's that health care merging with that other thing we know Democrats want, which is electability as they consider it. Yeah. And again, this goes to the difference between politics and policy. Anyone in politics will say, this is your mantra, define yourself before your opponent defines you and define your opponent before they define themselves. So what the Democrats have to be careful about while they're pushing forth a policy that may be favorable to the base is how are they going to appeal to independent voters, uh, Republicans who might be open not to voting for President Trump? How are they going to take these policies and make them bulletproof against Republican attacks? And keep in mind that it's not just Democratic voters who are watching these debates. Every single Republican politician and opposition researcher is watching these debates, and they're keeping attuned to every single thing that these Democratic candidates say. You know, one of the one of the aspects of this, too, is you've got this policy debate or this set of policy debates going on on the Democratic side. On the Republican side, you have a number of folks who, of course, were frustrated that their party in Congress was unable to completely repeal Obamacare. And they have said in the polls, I mean, that we knew out of 2014, out of certainly out of 2016, that Republicans wanted that completely repealed. And then the Republican Party, once they took over uh, control of Congress, wasn't entirely able to do that. And that's got some frustration among Republicans. What are they looking for going forward as an alternative then for next steps to, uh, to, uh, to the Democrats? Well, I think the Republicans gave themselves a gift, uh, President Trump, the Republicans, by eliminating the individual mandate of Obamacare. Because Obamacare is a disaster. It's too expensive by far. People can't afford it. I got rid of the individual mandate. That was the worst part of Obamacare because people were forced to pay a lot of money to get health care that they didn't want. Because okay. one of the primary aspects of Republican ideology philosophy is get the government off of people's backs. Don't have the government tell people what to choose, how to live, how to act, how to pray, whatever. You know, they want to be able to get the government off people's back. So by eliminating that individual mandate, that took a big issue away uh, on Obamacare that the Republicans were objecting to. Where they go from here on replacing it, that's a good question. Right now, it's sort of moot because the Democrats under Nancy Pelosi would never approve such a policy. But I think they accomplished a lot and took a lot of that intensity away from the issue for themselves by taking away that individual mandate and basically saying, government can't force you to buy insurance, period. One of the things that struck me, though, out of the um, 2018 polling was this, the idea of pre-existing conditions being protected. And that's something that seems like it cuts, well, I know that it cuts across party lines as well. So there again, a particular of a debate and, you know, just sort of as a way of wrapping up, Lenny, it's one of those things where people talk about the, say the topic, uh, but there are so many components of it that you really got to sort of dive in and, and see what, what exactly separates people from, from others. And it goes back to what I was saying earlier. Now that pre-existing conditions and even the 26 and under, you can keep them on your health care. Now that's part of law. 
even Republicans don't want to lose that. That's part of that loss aversion. So that's where it makes this interesting because what becomes their alternative plan if they so choose to get rid of Obamacare or are the Republicans satisfied right now simply having gotten rid of the individual mandate and potentially chipping away at some of the regulations at the core of Obamacare? All right, man. Let's uh, let's leave it there, but plenty more on this, of course, coming up. Uh, for everybody here at CBS News, let me say thank you for listening. Let me thank our intrepid producer, Alan Pang, for pulling this all together. And uh, we'll see you back here next week. Lenny, thanks, man. Always fun, Anthony. All right, enjoy the... Uh, I know you've got hot weather down there in, in D.C. It's uh, We're rivaling you here. It's just about as muggy. Here in, New- here in New York. It's the swamp, isn't it? <laughs> All right, man. I'll talk to you later. Thanks. Thanks, everybody.